The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, I will go through them, and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord, through which the righteous shall enter. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Amen. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for this day of worship that we may gather as your people. And we cry out to you now that by your spirit, you would allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth. That we would join our hearts together as one voice to praise the name of our Savior, to lift up and to praise his excellencies. And Lord, we pray that you would be with us now as we worship, that you would calm our hearts and our minds and still and quiet our spirits that we would meditate on the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray now together as you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as 
it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our Confession of Faith, we'll be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal if you'd like to open it. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was born by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Take the insert in your bulletin and let's sing together, Hosanna, loud Hosanna. Thank you. 
children can come forward for the children's sermon. Good morning, children. I wanted to speak with you this morning about what today is. Today is Palm Sunday. Does anybody know what a palm is? Is it what you have on your two hands? Palm Sunday? What's Palm Sunday, Abigail? The day, yep, the day that Jesus rode on the donkey and everybody put down the palm branches. Yeah? Anything else about Palm Sunday that you remember? Josiah? Um, you wave palms. You wave the palms, yeah. Jesus rode through Bethlehem. Jesus rode through through Bethlehem? Was it Bethlehem? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He rode through Jerusalem, that's right. He rose from the dead, and we are anticipating that day. On Palm Sunday, he rode through Jerusalem on the donkey. And do you remember why he did it? Because he wanted to show them that he is the king. He wanted them to see that he's the king. There are many times in the in the Bible when Jesus and the disciples, it seems like they traveled about, and nobody knew where they were going. They would be able to slip away quickly. They went from one city to another. And he didn't do it with a lot of announcements. He didn't go into Judea or Galilee. He didn't make a lot of uh, announcements. He didn't send people to stand at the beginning of the, the opening of the gates and say, He's coming, He's coming. He didn't do that. Only when He went to Jerusalem did He do that. And the people waved the branches and they laid down their coats. And what did they sing? You sang it this morning. They sang Hosanna. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. And you sang that too. And what they were saying when they praised God that way was, we are delighted and we are thankful that the King is coming. And though they didn't understand everything about it, Jesus came to be their King. And did you know that when He came to be King, He came to be yours too? He came that you would know Him, that you would love Him, and that you would obey Him and be part of His kingdom, that you would bow your heart to His, that He would be in charge of all of your life, and that everything you do would be to glorify Him. So as you wave to those palm branches this morning, and as we rehearse Palm Sunday together, may you remember that Jesus came to be a king, and he came to be yours. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for our children. I thank you for the trust that you have given to us to raise them to know you. And Lord, I thank you for Palm Sunday that we can celebrate together, and that on this special day, join together in worshiping you. Lord, I pray for our children that they would understand the things that they have seen and heard today, that they would walk away knowing that the Lord Jesus is the King, that He is the one who sits on the throne, and that He is the Lord of their life. Lord, I pray that You would guide them in Your ways, that You would keep them in Your ways, and that they would walk and know You, and that You would be the discussion of their heart and the melody that they sing. In Your name, Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to be reading together Psalm 62. It's on page 806 in your hymnal. 
Psalm 62, beginning on page 806. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. How long will you assault a man? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times of evil. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Let's continue to worship standing together and singing hymn number 235.
Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time and this privilege to be able to pray, to join our hearts together as your people, to cry out to you. Lord, we acknowledge and we admit coming into your presence that we are weak and frail, that we are sinful. There are things that we have done this week that we ought not to have done, and things that we should have done that we left undone. And Lord, we cry out to you that you would cleanse us from our sins, cause your people to delight to walk in your ways, to be holy as you are holy, and as Jesus has taught us to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Lord, we pray that you would be with us today, that as we continue to worship you and lifting our voices to praise you, and as we come to your word, that you would open our minds and our hearts, that we would hear and understand and believe the truth of the gospel. Lord, may you keep us free from error or lie, and may we believe the truth and know that it is the truth that sets us free in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, what a privilege and a joy it is to be able to pray together for your work that is being done around the world. And Lord, as we prayed last week for Bethany, we pray again today that you would be very near to her, that you would give her wisdom and grace and strength to do the work that you have called her to do. And Lord, we do pray that you would be with her in the midst of many activities and priorities and things that have to be done, that you would give her discretion and sleep and wisdom to know when to pick things up and when to lay them down. And Lord, we do pray for those that she asks us to pray for, those who are new going into different countries who haven't been there before. And Lord, I pray that you would be with them, that they would be comforted even now by your Spirit, that as they might be homesick or lonely or feel overwhelmed with the task that you have placed before them, that they would find peace and rest in knowing that it is the Lord Jesus who goes before them, who carries them as they walk and who comes behind them. Lord, I pray also for our, our missionary Andrew, who is now in Poland, that you would be with him. Lord, that you would minister to his heart, give him peace and confidence in you. Lord, we do also pray as he is busy with many tasks that we, we pray that you would help him as he continues to raise support and needs to still raise support while he's there already working. And Lord, we do pray that you would open up the storehouses of heaven, that he would have his financial needs met in abundance, that he would be able to focus all of his energies on the task that you have given him to do. And Lord, we do thank you and we praise you for the privilege that we have as a church to be able to support people who are spreading the gospel and who have given their lives to sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus with others. And we pray, Lord, that we would continue to be faithful not only in our giving, but also in our prayers for them. In your name, amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. We'll be reading verses 28 to 44. Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. The sermon is entitled this morning, The Triumphal Entry. This is the word of the Lord. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who went their way and found it, just as he had said to them, But as they were loosing the colt, the owner of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today, as we have been seeing in worship marks the beginning of Holy Week. This is the last week that Jesus would live on the earth before his crucifixion. In this week we see the triumphal entry as we celebrate today. Jesus' betrayal, the trials that he would undergo, his crucifixion, and next Sunday as we celebrate his glorious resurrection. But why do we mark these days? Why is this significant or important? There is no real scriptural mandate to do it. But I tend to agree with one writer who said that all of the Old Old Testament anticipates this special day and this sequence of eight days as we reflect on the teaching of the New Testament and the words that the Lord Jesus said Himself about practical living and belief in Him. I think this time is important for us as a church family and those of us who consider our Savior coming into the world. It's a time to slow down. And I want to encourage you to slow down this week. Maybe don't take that extra appointment. Take some time. Get up a little bit early in the morning. Read your Bible. Open up the Gospels. Look at Isaiah 55. Take some time to read the Scriptures. To see what it meant that the Lord came into Jerusalem. And that he came in knowing and saying all that he did in this passage of scripture. And that in this, your king has come. And he has come for you to remind you of himself. Engage your heart and your mind in the truth of this story of Jesus' first coming into the world. Jesus is the king. 
According to the Old Testament, He is the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior of the people, and the embodiment of everything that the law prefigured, and everything that was promised He came to fulfill. Not one thing that the Lord His Father sent Him to do did He leave undone. He came to perfect holiness before God's people. In Luke's account, Jesus is, quote-unquote, on the way to Jerusalem. He's looking at it, and throughout the Gospels it says that His face was set like flint to go. That He was going and nothing would stop Him. Nothing would keep Him to go to the holy city, to the city of peace. And as they were celebrating the Passover, He knew that He was coming as the Passover Lamb. The one who had come to be sacrificed on behalf of His people to suffer for their sins, that they might be able to be in God's presence. Today's text is both a historical fact, something that is true and cannot be obstructed in any way in our hearts and minds. It is true, but it is also deeply, deeply personal for each of us. The Savior and the King did come into the world, but He came for His people. He didn't come just to make a statement. He didn't come to make a show. He came to save His people. From their sins. That's you and me. You and I need a savior. We need a king. And seen through the the eyes of Jesus. And through the response of the crowd. I think and hope. That we can appreciate. That our heavenly father writes a story of redemption. That maybe is a little bit different. Than we would have written it ourselves. As we look at this passage. Of scripture this morning. And as we celebrate Palm Sunday. I want to look at Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem in verses 28 to 37. And then two of many responses that Jesus received in verses 38 to 44. And lastly, how you and I can engage in and appreciate Holy Week together. First, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem in verses 28 to 37. This was not an inconspicuous arrival. As I spoke with the children this morning, there were other times when Jesus went in and out of cities or in and out of little towns, and he didn't want anyone to make a fuss about him. He didn't want them to tell others what he had done for them when he healed them, when he caused diseases to go away, when he raised dead people to life. He didn't want pomp and circumstance. He didn't want attention. He did not want people looking at him. He wanted them to hear the message that he had sent the disciples to preach, and which he himself preached, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is close, it is near. That's the message that he was preaching. But when he came into Jerusalem, when it says that the the two disciples brought the donkey to him and he sat on it, he came full of pomp and circumstance. He came as they took their coats, their overcoats off, and laid them on the road, as they waved palm branches, and as they raised hosannas, as they praised him. Jesus came and he did not forbid any of them. He didn't tell them to be quiet. He didn't tell them to put their clothes back on. He received their worship. And He heard their hosannas. And He accepted them. You might remember in the Gospel story, as we're going along in the narrative and have reached the point that we're at today, the crowds had seen what took place and heard that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. And as He rode on the donkey and they followed, waving palm branches and laying their coats down, you could hear people singing, Hosanna. This one who can raise the dead. I can't wait to see what he does here in our place. Here in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. Can you imagine what he's going to do? If he could do that in Bethany. What will he do in Jerusalem? 
there was a lot of anticipation. You remember Lazarus was one of Jesus' friends, and it was said as the crowd murmured, as it said that Jesus wept when he heard the news that Lazarus was dead. Some of the people said to one another, couldn't this one who could take people who were blind and give them sight, couldn't he have kept this one who was his friend from dying? And what was it that Jesus said? He had prayed to the Father and said, I'm doing this and I'm speaking out loud so that you will hear and see and know that this Jesus, this one who does it, is the Son of the living God. The one who came to fulfill everything that your heart longed for and everything that the Bible spoke about the Messiah. I am Him. I am the one. And in the midst of that, in the midst of the drama of everything that was taking place, you have the Pharisees and others temple leaders, and other people who wanted to see Jesus gone. They're plotting to kill Jesus after the miracle. And Lazarus was raised from the dead. And then they wanted to kill Lazarus after Jesus was anointed in Bethany. They wanted to see both of them gone. We need the people to focus on us and listen to us. We can't have them distracted with this one who seems to have power from God. And you think about this fickle crowd. And I call them fickle on purpose. Because some of those same people who cried Hosanna on Palm Sunday would be ones later that week who would yell, crucify him at the end of the week. They were fickle. Jesus said that they followed him not because they believed, not all of them anyway. In John chapter 12, verse 9, he said, you follow me because you enjoyed what you saw. You saw something that entertained you and you hoped to see more. There were some people who followed Jesus simply for the entertainment value. And then there's the significance of the donkey. Why ride a donkey? Why not ride something else? Why not ride a huge horse or something that would look more majestic? But Jesus was fulfilling Scripture, specifically the Scripture from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that said the king would come and ride on a donkey, that he would come into Jerusalem, that he would proclaim that he is the king. He was fulfilling this. Jesus had been set apart for a holy task. That's why no one else rode on that donkey. That was the significance of the passage in Zechariah 9. It had been set apart for Jesus to ride on. And think about Jesus knowing. There's nothing recorded here that says there was any advanced messaging happening between Jesus and the man in that village. And wouldn't you be a little bit surprised if two men just walked up and started untying your donkey? As it says in the the Bible here, he asked them, why are you untying the donkey? It was a totally reasonable question to ask. But notice his response, or maybe the lack of it. When they said, the Lord has need of it, there was no other discussion. And they took it and set Jesus on it with their own clothes being a cushion for him. And as the people responded, here Jesus is coming into the town. And it says that the multitudes, while he's on the way, are laying their own coats down as a sign of submission and waving palm branches as a sign of victory. Our king has come. He's come finally. We will be delivered. And all that we had hoped for will take place. Just as it says in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 7, when Jehu was anointed king, it says that he was to strike down every enemy of the hand of God and those who had destroyed the prophets who spoke God's words. They believed that Jesus was coming to strike down Rome. He will get rid of those who occupy our holy city. He will establish the kingdom of God. We will yet again enjoy victory. And we cannot wait to see what he does this week. Jesus came and it was not inconspicuous. This was very clear. He was proclaiming, I am the king. And he said, when the the Pharisees said, 
tell your disciples to be quiet. He said, if I told them to be quiet, the very stones would cry out. All of creation knows who is in Jerusalem this day. It is the king, the creator, and everyone will acknowledge it one way or the other. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem was not a mistake. It was part of God's eternal plan to redeem the people of God. It was both His divine will and His special covenant love. Jesus is here, the embodiment of promises that God made to His people. In our shorter catechism, question number 26, it talks about Jesus as a king. I want to read the question and answer to you. How does Christ execute the office of a king? The answer says... Christ executed the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Jesus didn't come just to proclaim love and peace and affection and you can have joy and deliverance. Jesus came to be your king, to rule over you, to yes, to defend you from your enemies, to put love in your heart that you have never known. To fulfill the deepest desires and longings of your heart. But he didn't just come to make things better for you. He came to establish a kingdom and to rule and to reign. And it is unquestionable in the scriptures. Secondly, Westminster Shorter Catechism question number 27. And we will enter into this a bit more on Thursday. In our Monday Thursday service. It asks the question, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? The answer, Christ's humiliation consisted in being born, and that in a low condition, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, and the curse of the death of the cross, in being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. Here Jesus, walking into Jerusalem, is fulfilling prophecy. He is the King, and yet He is walking in the humiliation that I just read about. Because he will come and not be accepted. He will not be accepted as the king. Ultimately, he will be rejected by all people, including his own disciples. Even Peter, who would deny him three times. Jesus predicted it. He told him it would happen. That is part of the miseries of Christ's humiliation here on this earth. So first, Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. And secondly, at least two responses. There are many others. But I want to look at two responses. In verses 38 to 44. And we really should see all of this happening. All the drama. All the good things that seem to take place. And the cheerful things. The praises of the people. Even the Pharisees speaking up. In the midst of the processional that's happening. As they're going on the road. All of these things are a direct result of God's sovereign control. Over everything that's happening. There are no mistakes. There are no interruptions. Everything here is happening according to God's plan. First, I'm going to look at the response of some of the people. In verses 38 to 39, they are crying Hosanna. But there's misunderstanding and a lack of spiritual eyes to see and to hear what's going on. And what truly is represented in Jesus coming on the donkey. Yes, their words were absolutely prophetic, though they misunderstood. They thought Jesus was coming to establish an earthly kingdom. To cast off the burden of Rome and the shackles that had been on God's people for years. To sanctify the temple and to see worship restored in a way that would honor God. Where there would be no more enemies. And there would be no more any wagging of people's heads or tongues at the nation of Israel. No longer would they be cast down. But they would be lifted up and their king would be on the throne of David. 
The scriptural reference that gives this significance to what the people said we read this morning in Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, the words say in verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord and he has given us light. Those words were about Jesus. David wrote them many, many, many years before. And Jesus, as the people came, he received their praises as the only true worship, as the one who had come from the Lord. This was their response. It was prophetic. He came as a king. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with righteousness and with justice, From this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Secondly, look at the response of the Pharisees. These people who boldly cried out in the middle of this processional, would you have done this? Would you have cried out and called so much attention to yourself? And they they address him, teacher. And you've got to imagine there's a little bit of sarcasm in that. It wasn't a statement of respect or bowing before his authority, or the way he taught the law that no one else had. They are crying out to him and wanting to kind of get a dig at him. Teacher, tell your disciples to be quiet. Don't you hear what they are saying? Imagine the pride that must be in their hearts. Jesus makes it clear. Your self-confidence and your pride, I will set down. He makes it clear, I am here to be worshipped, and I will be worshipped. I am the sovereign, the living God. I put on flesh and I am in your presence. And one day everyone will bow before me, including you. And you will worship me. Jesus' response makes it clear. I will receive worship. I also want to look at the response of Jesus in this text. As we read the last part of the text, it's almost an aside from what's taking place. Almost like a little picture or a little commercial length video looking at the heart of Jesus as he is on the way to Jerusalem. He's not quite there. He's riding on the donkey. The people are waving the branches. You can hear them crying Hosanna. And then you you get a little picture of what's on his mind as he's coming to the city of Jerusalem. In verses 40 to 44, there is grief and sorrow in the heart of our Savior. And great love and also great resolve to carry out the will of his Heavenly Father. But why do I say grief and sorrow? In verses 41 to 44, he, it says that as he drew near to the city, that he wept over it. And this is not the first time this is recorded, even in the Gospel of Luke. You can go back to Luke chapter 13. And it says that Jesus laments over Jerusalem there, starting in verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem because he knew that ultimately everything that was meant in the establishment there, all of the sacrifices and the priestly order, And in general, all of the people who were considered religious leaders cast Jesus off. They rejected Him. And He is weeping because of all that had been done that the people might hear and believe the Gospel. And isn't it interesting that He says here, if you had known, even you, especially you in this your day, 
Now I wonder for just a moment, does Jesus really mean to say that they didn't know? Does he really mean to say they didn't know that they hadn't been given every possible warning and every possible message from their Heavenly Father to know what it meant to be in God's presence? And what did he mean by this being their day? I've quoted to you Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13 that says that we should be careful and weary of our own hearts and the deceitfulness of sin that we would hear and believe the gospel that we would not be hardened today not just tomorrow or the next day or later this week but that we would be careful to look over our hearts today because we don't know that we will have tomorrow we don't know what will happen later this afternoon Jesus is saying oh that you had known that this was your day But they did know. They had been given the prophets and the scriptures. They had been given all the servants of God to go and to tell them, this is what the scriptures truly mean. This is what the prophecies actually mean. He's weeping over Jerusalem because in His sovereignty, He knew. And yet He was broken over what the rejection meant. Jerusalem was rejecting their king. Their king came and the people, the multitudes on the the way there were crying out Hosanna while the people inside were contriving ways to attack him. They wanted to see him killed. It said that the chief priests and the scribes called a special meeting just to see how they might be able to take him and crucify him and get rid of him. It would be better for him to be gone, as we looked at last week in the story of Judas. Included are the people in this rejection, the people of Jerusalem, the temple worship, and all the historical significance that it meant, all the sacrifices and even the Pharisees, These who were very careful to walk according to the law of the Lord. They were very scrupulous in their observance of God's law. They were very serious about it. And yet Jesus says, I was rejected by you. I was rejected by you entirely. It was personal for Jesus. He came offering peace. And Jerusalem, this city of peace, He came to preach peace. And they would not accept it. He came offering life abundant and God's own people didn't want Him. We don't want Him at all. Luke chapter 19 verse 14, Jesus told a story about a man who was going to receive a kingdom. And I believe in this parable He was talking about Himself. Luke chapter 19 verse 14, it says, But His citizens hated Him and sent a delegation after Him saying, We will not have this man reign over us. That's the rejection that waited Jesus in Jerusalem. His own people and those who were to be the the religious guides of God's people rejected Him. In the triumphal entry there was great sorrow. When Jesus says here in verse 41, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. There had been a period of time where so much hardening had taken place in the hearts of the people that God decided, I will no longer be putting my pearls before your eyes. I will withdraw them and I will make them hidden from your eyes to the point that you cannot see them anymore because you have persisted in rejecting me. You have persisted in saying, I will not listen. I do not want him as a king. I do not want God on his terms. I want him on mine. And Jesus says, you will not have me on your own terms. You will have my terms of peace or you won't have any at all. And we will be enemies. And I will crush my enemies and make them punish, suffer punishment for their sins. That was Jesus' message. I come bringing peace, but it is peace according to my terms. A king never comes and says, lay your terms before me, I'll accept them. 
At least not one that's going to stay on the throne. And Jesus came saying, these are my terms. All that you knew the terms of peace. There's only one other place where he talks about terms of peace in the Gospels. If you want to turn there with me, I'll read a little bit of it to you from Matthew. In Matthew chapter 7, I want to start there. As we talk about terms of peace and what it means to know. We talked about this passage some last week in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And there's that word again, new. And I don't believe that this word new in in this sense is about Jesus not being omniscient. He absolutely knew everything. I don't believe that he's saying, I didn't know you. Oops, I forgot. I saw your face once, but it was quick. There were people around. I didn't, sorry, I didn't know you. I can't let you in the kingdom. I think Jesus here is saying, and it's a nuance on the word new. I never approved of your claims on my kingdom. He says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't approve of the way that you approach me. You must remember, dear people of God, that God says that He accepts worship. He receives worship from His people. He either accepts it or He rejects it. So it is His terms for peace. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. Turn over to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Beginning in verse 27. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you cast, do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus was saying that if I cast out demons in your presence, then I did it according to the power of God. And if by the power of God I did it, then the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus here is saying that the work that I did was a testimony to you in your presence that the kingdom of God is here. And that was the message that he told the disciples to go out and to preach, to tell the people, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's here, it's close. Don't wait until tomorrow, you must deal with Jesus. That's what they were to go and preach. And yet Jesus was rejected. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, these words were about Him, that He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with our grief. This was part of His grief. Walking into Jerusalem as the King, and though the people were shouting Hosanna and waving palm branches, and it seemed like it was a big show, it seemed like they worshipped and knew who they were seeing, days later, they would prove that they didn't know Because he didn't do what they wanted. And immediately after they didn't get what they wanted, they were done with him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. We'd rather have him get rid of this guy. It was a mob mentality. There wasn't a lot of thought in it. At least for some of them. In Romans chapter 5 verses 8 and 10, it says that while we were in that kind of place, the same kind of place that the others were, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We who were enemies have been reconciled To God. And lastly, the last part of Jesus' response, as he wept over the city, 
In John chapter 2, it says that he continued to entrust his soul to his heavenly Father. He relied on God to sustain him alone. He needed the Father's love and power. And he fully trusted that God would give him the grace to endure the dark night that he was about to walk through. It would be the loneliest night that any person would ever go through. As Jesus was rejected by his own people, he was betrayed by Judas, one of the twelve. And as he was carried off and accused of things that were not true, and then everyone decided he must have done them. He had a discussion with Pilate, and that famous question that Pilate asked before he walked away and washed his hands, what is truth? What does it even matter? Is it true that Jesus came as the King? Is it true that He came to display that I am the King here to save my people? If that's true, then you must reckon with that today, dear people of God. If that's true, you have to see it and behold it. Jesus made an exclusive claim when He came into the world. John chapter 14, verse 6. He said that there is no other way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Me. You don't get into heaven another way. You don't become part of His kingdom, part of His family another way. I want lastly to talk for a few minutes just about how to engage this Holy Week. This is a sacred, special time where you can get alone with the Lord and He will meet with you. It's not a legalistic obligation for you and I. Okay, I've got to go read my Bible. The preacher said, go read it this week. So I've got to find some time or put some things off. It is a holy privilege to be in God's presence, to seek our Savior, to behold the promises that He gave and that He came and fulfilled. It's a time for you to engage your heart with the pain that does exist in this life. Jesus here, we hear of His sorrow and His pain in this Holy Week. And I think it's significant that the Lord would be preserved in showing us His sorrows. That He did weep. That He wept as Lazarus was dead. And He wept because the people didn't understand that I came to give you life. He wept while He was in the garden. It says great drops of blood came off of His head as He wept and prayed and was in His Father's presence because He knew what was about to go on. Engage your heart with the pains of this life and give them to your Savior this week. Repent of the ways that you maybe are only concerned with yourself and gathering for yourself more things that this world has to offer and less concerned about having Jesus as your King. Just like the people in this text. I want you to also remember and think about and pay attention to the softness and the hardness of your heart. Lastly, what do I mean by that? Pay attention to the softness and the hardness of your own heart. There are times when God makes His Word so clear to you, and it seems so obvious that your sins are before you, and that a righteous and a holy God shows you the way to be absolved of those in His presence. And there are times when you read God's Word, and it's like nothing else, like reading the newspaper, or reading a comic book. Pay attention to the softness and the hardness of your heart. If the Lord has your heart soft, as you read His Word, then be in His presence and cry out to Him in faith. But also tremble as your heart is hard. Because there may be a day when He will say, I will keep this from your eyes. But as the Word of God says, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts. Come to Him in faith. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. There may be a time when you cannot. We are not promised tomorrow. Look to Him in faith. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture and what we learn about the Lord Jesus coming into the world to save sinners. Lord, he came, we believe, knowing exactly who he was. He came to sacrifice himself for our sins. He came to die for his people. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to watch over our hearts by your Spirit, that we would sense the hardness or the softness of our hearts even this morning. And that we wouldn't bank on being able to deal with God another day. We'll put it off for another day. I have things to attend to today. And yet tonight our soul may be required of us. Lord, I pray that we would come to your presence with thanksgiving and with joy. And also with repentance. That we would lay before you our sins. Lord, I pray also for those who are filled with sorrow today. That they would come to you with their sorrows as well. In your name. Amen. As we continue to worship, let's stand together and sing hymn number 310, Rejoice, the Lord is King. to the glory of God.
we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have as a participation in the gospel to be able to give our tithes and our offerings today. And Lord, we pray that you would use them for the sake of the spread of the gospel, that lost souls would hear and believe the gospel, moved out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your glorious light. Lord, we pray that you would meet our own financial needs And we say in faith as we give today that we believe you will and we trust that you will use all of the goodness of your riches to meet our needs as we walk in faith and obedience with you. In your name, amen. the benediction of our Lord. Now the Father who chose you, the Son that bought you, and the Spirit that dwells with you, go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, and hold you up in all your sorrows until Jesus comes again. Amen.